Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, thank you so much for checking us out. My name is John. If I didn't meet you on the way in, uh, I'm the lead pastor around here. Um, so as Adam said, we are in fact kicking off this brand new series today that we're calling, say what? And uh, is this not working here? We have an issue with this thing? Obviously, you guys need this. Um, and so what we're doing is we're taking a look at the wild statements that Jesus would make that would have caused the original audience to kind of scratch their head and look at the person next to them and go, did he just say what I think he just said? Because I thought my man... Okay, so and what we're going to find out over the next couple of weeks, a real short series, what we're going to find out is that it was these wild statements that would have had the most profound impact on this world and on ourselves. So today, we're going to be looking at something that left the original audience speechless, maybe, maybe even offended. Oh, it's a Christmas miracle. Thank God. Oh, I don't think I like, oh, I'm sweating bullets up here. Someone goes, do you get nervous when you speak up there? Now I am. Okay. Um, so today, we're looking at something that would have left the original audience absolutely speechless. Honestly, if they were Jewish when they first read this, it, it probably even offended them. It may have even caused them to get up and leave the room after hearing what Jesus is about to say today. Let me kind of set the scene. So the night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his disciples together around a dinner table, and he looked at these guys, and he said, take this and eat it, for this is my body. Now, if you've kind of grown up going to church, you've heard these words before. If you come from a Catholic background, you've pretty much heard these words every single week, and it's very commonplace. We don't really think much about these words. It just kind of, you know, breeze right past us. But it would be impossible for me. It would literally be impossible for me to over-exaggerate how important these words are in the ensuing conversation that Jesus is going to have with us today for you and for the world. Because it is with this phrase that Jesus effectively ties together all of human history. It is with these few short words that Jesus upends thousands of years of Jewish traditions. It is with these few short words that Jesus brings to a close a covenant that was made between God and the Jewish nation. And it is with these few short words that Jesus initiates a brand new covenant or agreement between God and the entire world. So my goal for the day for you guys, for us, is I want to dive into this. I want to figure out exactly what he's saying. And to the best of our abilities, you know, we can only do so much. To the best of our abilities, try to understand what Jesus was trying to communicate with this say what moment. And then at the end we're going to get an opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper or to take communion, this ceremony, this ritual that Jesus initiated this night with his disciples. So context. Um, when Jesus said these words, he and his disciples were in the midst of celebrating the Jewish holiday known as Passover. Many of you are familiar with this Passover. Some of you are not, very briefly. Passover is a celebration of the Jewish exodus story, uh, which surrounds around Moses. We talked about this during the summer in our BC series. But let me briefly give you the Reader's Digest 
of, of this story because it's important to know some of the details for what we're going to read today. So 1,500 years before this takes place, the Jewish people, the Israelites at this time, found themselves in slavery in Egypt. And, and the Jewish people were in slavery to the Egyptians for 450 years. Think about that. And then one day when the time was right, God tapped a man named Moses and said, Moses, I'm going to use you to liberate my people. You're going to be the go-between to make this happen. And so God sends Moses to the Pharaoh, who's the ruler of the country, to negotiate the release of the Jewish people. And, and so Moses goes and sees Pharaoh and says, well, I'm, I'm here to let you know that my God told me to tell you that you need to let my people go. And Pharaoh said, well, that's not going to happen. And so Moses kind of went back to the drawing board, and God said, all right, well, we got we to gotta force this guy's hand. And so God started sending plague after plague to try to force the hand of the Pharaoh, and nothing was working. And finally, after nine plagues of all kinds of crazy stuff, you got to go read it for yourself in Exodus. Finally, God says to Moses, all right, well, I didn't want to have to do this, but we're going to have to use the nuclear option. I need you to go and, and, and tell the Pharaoh that if he doesn't let my people go, then I'm going to send my death angel into this country and kill the firstborn son of every single family in Egypt. Now, that's a little scary if you're Jewish because your family's there too. But God had this covered, and this is where the name Passover comes from. He goes, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure that every Jewish person in this country slaughters a lamb. Take the blood of that lamb and have them paint it over their doorposts so that when my angel of death, which means there's an angel of death out there, when my angel of death makes his way through the city, when he comes to a home that has the blood of the lamb on it, he will pass over the home, sparing that family from death. Well, it worked. It worked so well that Pharaoh kicked the Jews out, basically said, get out and get out fast before I change my mind. And story tells us the Jewish people, they packed up their stuff. They grabbed their bread that morning before it had even risen. It was unleavened bread. And they ran out into the desert, free, for the first time in 450 years. And it was while they were in that desert that God, through Moses, made a covenant with them an agreement that he would be their God and they would be his people. And that is the celebration our Lord is taking place with in this story today. We read in Mark, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, commemorating the bread that didn't rise, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you. Jesus sort of as the head of the house, he was kind of running the show. So it says that Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. He says, as you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you, all right? I want you to follow him. Now, these are very specific instructions, kind of oddly specific. And what's interesting is that theologians, when they look at this passage, they don't really know what's going on here. Meaning, they, they're not sure, is Jesus seeing the future when he's talking about there's going to be a guy and he's, gonna, he's carrying a pitcher of water? Is Jesus somehow divinely orchestrating events at this point in his life? We're not really 
sure, but what we are sure of is that it was very unusual for a man at this time and in this culture to be carrying a pitcher of water. Historically, this was a woman's job. We've talked about this here in this church with the woman at the Samaritan well. And so the fact that there would be a man carrying this pitcher of water, that was at least some special sign for his disciples. Jesus continues his instructions. He goes, you're going to see this guy. You're going to follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. Hmm, That's unusual. That is where you should prepare our meal. So this is very cryptic. This is very mysterious. I think it's very interesting. And some theologians believe that at this point in Jesus' life, as he's nearing the end, that Jesus was actually being purposefully kind of secretive, keeping his movements under wraps, if you will. Why? Well, they speculate that he was actually trying to prevent Judas from betraying him too soon because they believe that Jesus needed to have one final conversation with his disciples before Judas would famously betray him. And it is that conversation that we're going to look at today. So disciples listen to Jesus. They do what it says. And the two of them went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said and prepared the Passover meal there. So night comes. It is time to celebrate the Passover. Jesus arrives. The other disciples, they arrive, and they begin to celebrate the Passover meal. This is what we now kind of call the Last Supper, very famous painting made by Leonardo da Vinci. And I keep wanting to say Leonardo DiCaprio. It's Leonardo da Vinci, okay? Very different uh, man. Now, this is actually where Jesus requested a table for 26 because all 13 guys wanted to sit on the same side, all right? Now, as they were eating, it continues, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it into pieces and he gave it the disciples. So let's pause here for a second, because I want us to remember what we're reading, what we're listening in on, what we're watching through history. You know, we call it the Last Supper, but they're not just having dinner. These men are celebrating Passover. And at this point, Passover is a a 1,500-year-old tradition. It, it It is a celebration that is highly, highly structured. It's not like dinner at your house, you know, Christmas dinner where, you know, your uncle's getting drunk in the corner and mom and dad are arguing, right? This one is like very structured. In fact, I was able to print out a guide for doing a Passover dinner, a Seder, okay? This is made by the Jewish federations of North America. And I was speaking to my Jewish friend. This is what they use. This is what has been used, the script, if you will, for now 3,500 years. And inside this, I mean, this is amazing. Inside, it's 19 pages, by the way. And inside the 19 pages, you're going to see specific readings that must be read at certain points in the night. It tells you about the certain foods you have to eat and when you're supposed to eat them. It talks about the wine that must be consumed and when it must be consumed. There are questions you must ask. There are answers. They tell you the answers. Everyone's got a script. Everyone knows what's supposed to be said. Everyone knows what's supposed to be done. And so when Jesus breaks the bread, prays over the bread, hands the bread out. This is all according to the script. This has all been done for 1,500 years and to this very day. But Jesus throws a bit of a curveball. 
Because Jesus, as he blesses the bread and he hands it out to his disciples, he says to them, take this and eat it, for this is my body. Say, what? Okay, this is like, people are like, huh? What did you say? Are you, like, what page are you on, Matthew? I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on three over here. What are you, you're on four? Why are you on four? Jesus, what are you talking about? This is not in the script, Jesus. You're going, I mean, this is not what Passover is taking and eat bread. What? Huh? Your body, what are you talking about? Jesus, we are supposed to be celebrating when God rescued the Jews. I mean, we're here celebrating when God began his new covenant. What are you talking about? Take this, eat this, this is my body. Jesus didn't listen. He's plowed straight ahead. He says, do this in remembrance of. Oh, okay, we're back on script. Everything's fine. We're actually on page six. I see where he is now. Jesus, you don't need to tell us what we're doing this in remembrance of. I mean, the, the script tells us. I mean, we've been doing this since we're little boys. Our, our, our relatives have been doing this for 1,500 years. We do this in remembrance of when God rescued the Jews. Well, we do this in remembrance of when God started the covenant with our ancestors. This is what they expected Jesus to say. This was what the script called for. It's what's been said for 1,500 years. But out of nowhere, Jesus looks at them and says, do this in remembrance of me. Huh? Am I being punked? Are we on candid camera? I mean, is there a camera somewhere? Is this why we're all sitting on the same side of the table? Because you got a camera, like, and you're trying to catch our reactions? Guys, if you're a Christian in the room, it is difficult for us to understand how disruptive this is that Jesus is doing right here. The closest analogy that I could come up with, and analogies are never perfect, but the closest analogy I could come up with is that if it were December, here. Fast forward a couple of months. Now, my birthday's in December. It's the 16th market, okay? Um, I got a whole list for you. You can ask for it. Anyway, so no, if, if it's December around here, and I say to you guys, look, here's the deal. In just a few short days, it's going to be December 25th. Now, I know in the past, we've celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ on that day, but this year, and every year forward, we're going to celebrate my birthday, Okay, you're going to go home, you're going to decorate your tree with pictures of me, you're going to sit around the table or your fireplace, you're going to regale one another with stories of my birth and, and my successes, as few as there are, okay? And this is, this is what Jesus has done. Jesus has literally hijacked one of the oldest and one of the most important holidays in the Jewish faith, and he's made it all about himself. So dinner continues, awkwardly, one has to presume. It says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is, to which the disciples go, Jesus, again, we don't need you telling us. We got the script right here, unless you're going to pull another fast one on us. I mean, according to the script, there are four cups of wine that must be consumed during the Passover meal. Every cup of wine specifically corresponds to one of God's promises that he gave to our ancestors before they uh, were liberated from Egypt. And so since this is after dinner, we know that this is the third cup of wine. According to the script, the third cup of wine is called the cup of redemption. And according to the script on page eight, the cup of redemption applies to the promise that God made where he said, I will rescue you with outstretched arms. That's what this cup is. Now, notice this. If you're a Christian, 
knowing what Jesus was about to do on the cross, literally the very next day for our redemption, it's difficult to miss the symbolism of God redeeming us with outstretched arms. And so that night when Jesus is holding up the cup of redemption, the third cup on that Passover meal, whose meaning is steeped at this point in 1,500 years of tradition and history, he announces to his disciples that from this moment forward, this cup is the new covenant. Now notice, he doesn't say that this cup is the covenant because they were there that night in part to celebrate the fact that God launched a covenant with the Jewish people. He said a new covenant. And that definitely is not in the script. See, the old covenant, if you will, that God made with the Jewish nation was, according to scripture, you can go look up yourself, it was always to be temporary in nature. Moses, who was the one who inaugurated the original covenant, he always anticipated that there would come a day when, when God would start a new covenant. Jeremiah, who's one of the great prophets, 700 years before this evening, predicted that at some point in the future, God would replace the current covenant with the Jewish people with a new covenant. Take a look with your own eyes, Jeremiah 31, 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. He says, it will not be like the covenant made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because it's, it, it's not going to be like the old covenant at all with all the rules and all the regulations that were nearly impossible to follow. It won't be like that at all. It's not going to require the sacrifice of animals for the forgiveness of sins. It's, it's not going to be like the laws that were written on stone tablets. Rather, I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. This new covenant, it's going to be intimate. It's going to be personal. It's going to be Jesus. And he will be in their minds, and he will be in their hearts. And so Jesus, in this moment, is holding up the cup of redemption, and he says, this is the cup of new covenant. Boys, whenever, whenever you drink from this cup moving forward, it now represents something new. It now represents the new covenant between God and mankind. And, and whereas, Jesus would imply, whereas the old covenant was sealed by Moses using animal's blood, I, he would say, would seal the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And I have to imagine that when the disciples heard this, they go, wow, Jesus, in your blood, what are you, you're healthy. You're, you're right in front of us. There's not even a scratch on you. I mean, you, you, you haven't been more popular. When you came into town, they were putting palm branches before you, cheering. What do you mean in your blood? You see, for as many times as Jesus told his disciples that he had to die, and we're going to get into this next week, but they never understood it, or they never believed it, or perhaps wanted to believe it. 
But in just a few short hours, they would see it with their own eyes. That night, all over Jerusalem, Jews gathered to celebrate the fact that 1,500 years earlier, a lamb was slain. That the blood of that lamb had been painted on the doorpost of their ancestors. And because of that, their ancestors were spared from death. But Jesus, in that upper room, is telling the world that from this moment forward, we celebrate a new lamb. We're going to celebrate what John the Baptist said about me when he first saw me. Look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And after dinner, Jesus was finally betrayed by Judas. He was able to have this last important conversation. And he was arrested. He was tried overnight. And the next day, he was nailed to the cross. And his body, like that bread, was broken for you. And his blood, like that wine, like that original Passover lamb, was poured out for you, he said. The Lamb of God had been slaughtered. And his death on that cross ushered in the new covenant, the final covenant, the everlasting covenant. But this time, it would not be with just the Jewish nation. It would be with the entire world. The covenant that God had made with the Jews, it was now complete. The new covenant, the perfect covenant, it opened the way for you and for me to have a personal relationship with the God of this universe because of what his son Jesus Christ did on that cross. And it's because of what happened in that upper room on that fateful night 2,000 years ago that today we get the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper, also known as communion, where Jews once celebrated the fact that God rescued them from slavery to Egyptians. We today get to celebrate that Jesus rescued us from slavery to sin and death. Communion is a chance we get to come together to celebrate the fact that Jesus is Lord. That thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, God himself made a promise that one day he would redeem not just the Jewish nation, but the entire world, and he would do it through his son, Jesus Christ, who came to this world, who took on human form, who lived among us, who loved us, who felt our pains, who taught us to love, who taught us to live, and who died on that cross so that we could be forgiven of sins. So the big question you might be asking is, well, who, who should take communion? John, I'm here today. I mean, can I take it? Who, let me be careful in how I answer this. The message of Jesus is for everyone. It's for the entire world. Downtown Harbor Church exists for everyone. Communion is not for everyone. 
Let me show you why. So Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, one day he was writing a letter to a new church, helping them understand how to begin taking the Lord's Supper, how to begin doing this ritual that Jesus initiated that night. And in this letter, he wrote to them and said, look, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, it doesn't have to be every week, whenever you get a chance to do this, you, as the person taking communion, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Which means that communion is for the followers of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, when we take communion, it is us actively proclaiming to those around us and to the world that Jesus is Lord and he is our personal Savior and that he died for our sins. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, let's say you're Jewish, maybe you're Hindu, maybe you're nothing, you're just here exploring, great, wonderful. I mean, we're thrilled that you're here. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. And for the next few moments, you can just sit back and watch Christians take place, take part in a, in a ritual that is 2,000 years old, stemming back to, to promises made over 4,000 years ago. But maybe you're someone that has been coming here for a while now. And, and you're not a Christian. You wouldn't, you wouldn't say that you're a Christian, but you sure come a lot. And you would say that you've definitely learned some things, and, and, and the teachings of Jesus have definitely made you better at life, but you've never taken that final leap of faith. I want to challenge you. I think today's the day. I mean, how much longer are you going to wait? But what would it look like for you to hand your life over to the man who handed his life over to you, for you? So what would that look like? Well, John, who was the, the best friend of Jesus, who was at the Lord's Supper, who was there at the crucifixion, he said it like this. For God so loved the entire world that he gave his one and only son, that's Jesus, that whoever, that's you, believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, what John is saying here, he goes, guys, look, if, if, if you want to be a part of this new covenant that Jesus is talking about, if you as an individual want to be made right with the God of the universe, all you got to do, listen up, all you have to do is believe in him, to trust in him, to lean on him, to say, yes, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I just believe at some level you are who you say that you are. You do that in your heart. Today can be your very first communion. It can be the first day of the rest of your life. So with that in mind, let me walk you through how communion is going to work. As you walked in, you should have received a little bit of a communion cup. Did anybody not get one? Just raise your hand. No, we're all good. Okay. Um, don't do anything with it yet. On the top, you're going to see a. Um, on the top, you're going to see a little bit of a wafer. Okay. Good luck getting that open. Okay. Um, you're going to see a little. And underneath is juice. Now, 
That is not wine. We have no issue with wines. We like wine around here, some of us too much. Okay, but the reason it's not wine, the reason it's juice is because we realize that some people do struggle with alcohol. And we don't want there to be any kind of encumbrances here. We want to be able to everyone to celebrate together. Now, at its core, communion is a time of contemplation. And while Christina plays and sings over the next few moments, I want to challenge you to spend time in prayer and reflection. Paul, the man who wrote the letter we just read from before, Paul says this is a time that we are to examine ourselves. That's his word. And when he says we are to examine ourselves, it means that between you and God, on your own, in your heart, use this as a time to confess the sin that might be going on in your life. Unburden yourselves of things that you've been carrying. Lay it at his feet and thank him for the forgiveness that he has already given you. Use the next few moments to reflect and remember what Jesus did for you on that cross and what he's done for you every day since. And when you feel led on your own time, take the bread and eat it. And think about Jesus's body being broken for you. And then take the juice and think about Jesus' blood being poured out specifically for your sins. And when she's done, I'll come back, I'll pray for us, and we can go home. How great the pain of 
wounds which mar the chosen Resurrection. 
So according to the, the Passover script, at the end of dinner, the fourth cup of wine is to be consumed. And, and they are to say, we conclude the official part of the Seder. That's the name of the dinner. With a final prayer asking God to bring the messianic error. And I'm just so glad that we here at Downtown Harbor Church have the assurance to know that the Messiah has come. And he died on that cross for us. And his name is Jesus Christ. Let me close this out in prayer. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today and celebrate the Lord's Supper. God, I'm so thankful that even at the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, you had set in motion a plan to use your son to fix this broken relationship between mankind and yourself. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son to this world to encourage us, to show us how to live, to show us how to love one another, and to die on that cross for our sins. I pray, Lord, that if someone is here today who accepted your son Jesus for the first time in their life as their Lord and Savior, I, I want to thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you would be with that individual in a powerful way. That they would know you and see you and feel you in a way that they had never thought imaginable. And I just personally, Lord, want to thank you for the gift of salvation that we get to celebrate today. And we ask all of this in Jesus the Messiah's name.